audio. Welcome to Doc Talk, a weekly podcast featuring Monument Health physicians addressing medical topics. Tune into your health with Monument Health. Hello, and welcome to Doc Talk with Monument Health. Uh, I am Mark Houston, and joining me today, this is the first chance I've had to talk with a doctor that I've actually been to, and that's exciting for me. I, I don't I don't know why, but but it is. Uh, it's Dr. Siri Knutson Larson, the dermatologist at Monument Health. Uh, really quick, uh, Dr. Knutson Larson, your background: University of South Dakota, mm-hmm. uh, Sanford, yep. and then you went to the University of Colorado. Yep. And then you came back here because of family. Because of family, yes. (laughs) It seems to be how that works because your dad uh, was a – does he still practice here in dermatology? No, my my dad opened his practice in 1987. He was in private practice. I joined him in 2014, and then we merged with Monument in 2017. And then he retired 2020. Okay. He still does do PRN work but is pretty much retired at this point. But you didn't didn't start with dermatology. Did you know, though, growing up with your dad being a doctor, that maybe you wanted to be in the medical field, though? At one point, I wanted to be an opera singer, but I decided that didn't really have a lot of girth to it. Yeah, so, South Dakota doesn't have yeah, that opportunity. That opportunity. So um, I, th- I was pretty sure in college that medicine was the road I wanted to pursue, but I always felt I would never be a dermatologist. I felt it was, quote unquote, boring growing up in the office. So I actually pursued a career in OBGYN initially, which I absolutely loved. But I just felt with my goals long-term for family that dermatology would likely be a better fit. So I was thankfully able to transition between residency programs at the University of Colorado. So I was able to do my internship there and then complete my dermatology residency there before moving home. Oh, excellent. Um, You know, what's what's kind of interesting uh, for me doing a little research on skin Mm -hmm. to talk with you um, is most doctors work internally. You walk around in public all day, meeting people, talking to people, seeing people. Do you find yourself <laughs> looking at them and their face and their arms and their shoulders knowing, oh boy. <laughs> I will tell you one of my one of my least favorite places to go is an indoor water park. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never even thought it of that. It stresses me out. <laughs> but you, uh, do, do, do you ever, have you ever approached anybody and been like, you know, um, I'm just a thing. Here. It's an ethical, it's an ethical question yeah. for sure um, that's been posed to many dermatologists. And I guess if I do see something that I think is life threatening to somebody, perhaps a melanoma, I will tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, just go see a dermatologist. <laughs> I never refer to myself, but sure, see a right. dermatologist, board certified derm, so they can reevaluate that and make sure that everything's okay. Wow, that's so. that that would be it would be stressful, I would think, <laughs> to, to to do that. Um, so, uh, do you is there is there a specialty for you in dermatology? Is there is there anything you you like to focus on or that you have focused on? Yeah, so I'm board certified in both uh, dermatology as well as Mohs Micrographic Surgery. Mm-hmm. I would say over the years, my practice has morphed into probably sixty percent surgical side and um, the rest medical derm and a small amount of cosmetic dermatology too. I also have a special interest in pediatric dermatology when I'm able to see kids, something I've always loved to do. But I would say the majority of what I do now would be skin examinations for skin Mm -hmm. cancer surveillance, um, as well as some medical derm, psoriasis, acne, eczema. And then a lot of what I do is surgery for skin cancer. Now, 
Okay, now you talked about that Mohs micrographic. Is that mm-hmm. is that surgery, is that relatively new? Is that kind of a new process no. or has that been around a while? It's been around a long time. So Fred Mohs actually started uh, the technique at the University of Wisconsin in the early, I think it was 1920s. Oh, wow. Um, he decided that there was probably a better way to evaluate skin cancer removal at the bedside versus just removing it, sending it in, and hoping you get it all. So it's just a different way of removing the skin cancer. We're able to actually remove it in the clinic look at it under the microscope while the patient waits because it's actually processed in real time. And at the same time, we create a map and we look at the slides and we say, okay, there's still skin cancer in this area, but there's none here. So we only have to go back to that certain area and take more tissue. So we achieve several different things with this. Number one, we achieve a 99% cure rate for most skin cancers. And number two, we keep the hole as small as possible. So when you're working on an area such as the face, that's ideal because Mm -hmm. you want to remove as little skin as possible. So patients are able to have reassurance that we got the skin cancer out and they have a nice aesthetic result as well. You said 99%? With most skin cancers. Right. There are definitely That's amazing, there are though. some skin cancers that that we don't have that mm-hmm. rate with, but for the most general type, yes, with 99% cure rate. Now, is is skin cancer is that is that probably one of the most common cancers you can get? Skin cancer is actually the most common cancer in the United States. One in five Americans will be diagnosed with skin cancer at some point in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually a person once every hour within or once every hour within the United States will die of melanoma. Oh, my. So it's a very common skin cancer. Uh, And is it mainly... What what mainly causes it? Is it mainly from the sun? I mean, it's is that mainly really? from the sun. There are some genetic syndromes, mm-hmm. obviously, that can make your risk higher, but those are pretty rare. There are certain medications, actually. There are blood pressure medications. There are different medications taken, for example, after an organ transplant, um, and other. Um, medications that can actually increase your risk as well in conjunction with the sunlight. Sure. But for the basic healthy American, your number one risk for skin cancer is going to be sun exposure. And what we know now and probably didn't know 20 to 30 years ago is every single sunburn before the age of 18 is what contributes to your sun damage the most. So when I see patients that come in in their 50s and say, well, I didn't know any better, I say, of course you didn't. Sunscreen didn't come into vogue until the 1990s, 2000s. And so at you, you didn't know you couldn't right. have prevented this. However, when we look at the younger population, so we're talking what, Gen Y maybe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I really try to educate those patients and I really try to educate my teenage patients as well because this is the time that you really truly can protect yourself. Kids will be like, well, I got a sunburn a couple of times, you know, when I was 15, 16 in the summertime, whatever, but that can't possibly affect me later in life. But this is one of those things where mm-hmm. it, it, it your skin is great. At protecting you generally, yes, I, but it can only do so much, like anything else, I would assume. Um, and so, getting these sunburns, like you said, at this at this younger age, it's it's something that your body's like, look, you know, I kind of took care of you, but. <laughs> We're going to, this This could be a thing down the road. And actually the statistic from the American Academy of Dermatology is that experiencing five or more blistering sunburns between the ages of 15 and 20 increases your risk of melanoma by 80%. Oh my goodness. So, that number is shocking. It's, it's high. Yeah. And, and if you talk about tanning beds, you have similar statistics. So young people using tanning beds. Um, it's it's a very, very dangerous, dangerous practice. And, and growing up, I grew up uh, in the in the 80s when tanning beds were a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Very small town. That was the the cool thing to go do mm-hmm. three or four times a week. Mm-hmm. And boy, looking back, I wish I would have known better at that point. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many patients talk to me each day and say, I wish I would never have laid in that tanning bed. I wish I wouldn't have done it. But 
to your 16-year-old self, it seems right. like a good idea. Yeah, of course. But really, I like to say it's just as important that you're avoiding tanning beds, wearing sunscreen as a young person is really just as important as wearing your seatbelt. Wow. Because it's going to prevent damage to you in the long run. Now, what about people will say, well, you know, I go out to get a base tan. I go out to get... Is, is that even a thing? There's no such thing as a base tan that's really going to um, improve your outcome. So the thing about tanning that I think a lot of people don't understand is, is getting a tan is actually initially the body's way to protect yourself from the sun. But your body can only do that so much. Mm-hmm. And then once that becomes excessive, that's when you start to develop damage. And I think a really good way to explain it is comparing an old person and a young person in regards to a cold. So a young person, if they develop a cold, they're able to recover very, very quickly. An older person cannot. The skin has its own immune system. So it's analogous to the sense that a child can recover from some of that sun damage initially because their immune system is young, it's protective. But the older we get, the less likely our immune system is going to be able to overcome that damage. And so that's when we start to develop the skin cancers. And that's why it takes so long for for us to see them as dermatologists. Right. But I will say in practice over the last eight years, the skin cancers I see have become younger and younger and younger. When I first started, I felt like I never saw a 30-year-old with a skin cancer. Now, once a week. Oh, my. So That's telling. It's I mean, telling. It's very it's telling. telling. And tanning beds, I think, are a big part of that. And lack of sunscreen use at young ages is also a part of it. Uh, so when people go out and they're, and okay, now they're, they're hearing your message and they're like, I don't want any of this down yep. the road. So... What do you recommend when it comes to sunscreens? Everybody, there's there, there does seem to be a lot of confusion when people are standing in the aisle looking for this stuff, mm-hmm. what they should do. Yeah. So, so I think one of my colleagues in Spearfish actually gave me a really good tagline, and he said, use the sunscreen that you are going to use, right? Because some people, even if I tell them my favorite sunscreen is X, Y, and Z, if they don't like the way that sunscreen feels, they're not going to use it. So the bottom line is, is find something that you're going to use. There are two different types of sunscreens. There are physical sunscreens and there are chemical sunscreens. Mm -hmm. Physical sunscreens are the sunscreens that include products like zinc oxide, titanium dioxide. Those products I like the best because they create almost an armor around your body and they cause the sunlight to bounce off your body, whereas the chemical sunscreens are going to absorb that light and scatter the light, okay? Both work very, very well in different ways. I would say that there's more controversy around the chemical sunscreens. Um, For instance, possible reef damage in Hawaii, which has largely been disproved. Right. As well as there was a recent FDA study that showed that patients that use uh, chemical sunscreens do absorb it into their bloodstream. However, there have never been any studies to show that that's detrimental in the long run. Sure. So because of those issues, some people do feel more comfortable using the physical sunscreens. And and I prefer the physical sunscreens because I personally just think they work better. Okay. When you're looking at a sunscreen in general, you want to look for something that's an SPF of a 30 to a 50. Okay. And then the other thing needs to be its broad spectrum, meaning it's going to protect from both UVA and UVB light. I think that's the, that's the one that confuses a lot of people yep. when they see that. They're not sure what that means. You want so. broad spectrum because okay. UVA and UVB penetrate through the ozone. And I like to say that UVA ages and UVB burns. So there are two different types of light that you want to avoid. UVA is going to cause your wrinkles and sunspots that you're going to need to see a cosmetic dermatologist for someday. <laughs> but UVB is going to burn you. Okay? Uh, and that, okay, And so being able to have a broad spectrum that's going to cover both of those is ideal. And then the last thing that you're going to want to look for is something that's water resistant. The FDA has created guidelines that say that you cannot label anything anymore as waterproof. It does not exist in the sunscreen world at this time. Interesting. So water resistant 
And then the last but not least that, and I'm not always great about thinking about this either, but it's reapplying your sunscreen. So putting it on every two hours when you're outside, especially living in the Black Hills where we get up to almost 6,000 feet. Mm -hmm. I think an interesting statistic there in the Spearfish Deadwood area is that every thousand feet you rise in elevation, you increase your UV exposure by eight to 10%. Wow. And that's something you never would think about either when you're up in the hills. I learned that in Colorado. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know. I suppose that makes sense. Yes. Yes. So those are. I think some really important just basic knowledge points on on choosing your sunscreen. But really, the one other tagline about sunscreen is sprays. There's some controversy about sprays at this point. But if people are going to use sprays, you need to rub them in. I can't tell you how many patients I see that said, I use my sunscreen, but I miss this one spray area. So spray it on your legs and then rub it in really, really well. So you're making sure you're getting good coverage. Okay. Uh, that's that's all great advice. And I think it answers a lot of questions that people have. Um, when I was thinking about, you know, I, I knew we were going to talk about sun and sunburn. Uh, but of course, living here in South Dakota, we have, you know, our two and a half months of summertime Mm -hmm. uh, that people get to go out and enjoy. And then the rest is cold. Mm -hmm. And dry skin Mm -hmm. can have its own challenges around here too, can't it? That that can kind of end up being dangerous sometimes as well? Absolutely. Not as much dangerous, more than just uncomfortable to patients. And I would say, yes, we live in a very dry climate. And so in our practice of three board certified physicians, we see a lot of eczema patients. And eczema is the dermatologic term to describe a dry skin problem that ends up in a rash. So it's really important in our climate, especially in the winter months when it's drier. The tagline I tell every patient is cooler showers. They can't be hot. I like I like unscented dove soap. You got to throw out all right. the axe and lever and Irish spring. Well, the axe just has to go for it's a just number has to go. of reasons. Okay. <laughs> and then and then the last but not least thing that that people, especially men, no offense, really hate to do is put a moisturizer on their skin. Right. And when I say a moisturizer, I don't mean a lotion because mm-hmm. in our dry climate, lotions evaporate and they pull natural moisturizer out of the skin. Okay, so what's now what's the difference between a lotion and a moisturizer? So a lo- there's there. Lotion is a moisturizer, but there's different types of moisturizers. So there's lotion, there's cream, and there's ointment. So ointment is going to be your Vaseline, and that's really greasy. Most people don't like putting that on their whole bodies. Is that good for you, though? Is it, it is. A, is, a, is it, it really? I mean, if you want the smoothest skin, you rub Vaseline on yourself once a day. <laughs> Huge difference. <laughs> Most people be a little want. awkward at work, maybe, <laughs> when you come in all shiny. Yes, but. <laughs> yeah. but But the intermediate between those two is going to be a cream. And really the difference in those three products is going to be your water content. So... Lotion is going to have the most water. Cream's going to have a moderate amount of water. And ointment has barely any. Okay? Right. And so I like the cream because patients are going to use it the most frequently. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So daily use of a moisturizing cream. And most of those are going to come in a tub. And that's how you're going to differentiate them okay. between a lotion and a cream. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Vaseline. I'm going to be thinking about that all day Vaseline's now. Vaseline's one of my favorite products. Nothing beats it. And I am going to come <laughs> into work one day just covered in it to see what happens. Just to see what people – I'm like, look, no, I've, I'm protecting my skin, folks. Um now, aside from aside from sunscreen, I think we've 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 talked about that, and I think everybody is, is aware that you it's so important to use that. What is? I'll give you this kind of a two part question. What is the one product aside from sunscreen you wish people would use more? And maybe it is the moisturizer you were talking about. But what is the absolute one product you wish people would stop using? Stop using. Yeah. Just oh, neosporin. Really? Don't use it. 20% of the population becomes allergic to it at some point. No Neosporin kidding. and bacitracin, I hate both of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, why? Is it just... It's just the way 
It is. With pa- I, I can't tell you why that statistic right. exists, but it's a very common allergy. And so if a patient, specifically if we do a surgery on a patient and then they start using Neosporin and they become allergic to it, it can be very uncomfortable for them. Really? So I would say that's something I very much dislike. Oh, my God. I, yeah. I, I, my mind is blown. I knew this was going to be yeah. an interesting conversation. <laughs> but now I'm, uh, wow. Um, one other, okay, this is, this is I, well, I've, Two more here questions before I, before yep. I let you go. Um, is there uh, – I've heard that some dermatologists will recommend, and we you hit on this a little bit, when, when people take a shower in the morning or at night, mm-hmm. um, should you always use soap everywhere? You don't necessarily need to. A lot of patients or a lot of dermatologists will just say, like, wash your sensitive areas and your face, okay. right? And then yeah. just let the water run over the rest of you. Right. Because every time you use a soap, and it depends on the type of soap you use because there are detergent-based soaps and non-detergent-based soaps, you're actually stripping some of that natural moisturizing factor off your skin that exists in your natural body oils and mm-hmm. things like that. And so if you can avoid scrubbing your legs and your arms and places that don't have dirt or grime on them, I 100% recommend it. Um, the other thing I would say is I have a lot of patients that shower two to three times a day. And that's too much. It's too much because Uh every time you take a shower that when the water evaporates off your skin, you're also pulling natural moisturizer out of your skin. Same concept. So if you can minimize your shower to every day, just once a day, it's ideal. Okay. Uh, Now your thoughts on tattoos. You know, I don't, I don't really have an opinion. I'm personally too scared to get one, so <laughs> that's, that's I just, <laughs> I just way. haven't. I guess I would tell patients, you know, I think that in our world, there's a lot of advertising stating, "Oh, well, these are easy to remove." They're really not easy to remove. There are techniques to do it, specifically mm-hmm. with lasers, but we can never guarantee, especially with the more. Um, unique ink that exists today. It's all based on the type of ink. That is how you remove it, the different lasers. And so the older tattoos that were just your typical green, no real color, those were a lot easier to remove. But the more intricate these become, the more difficult it is. And it requires multiple treatments. And you can't always guarantee complete removal. There's also an interesting thing that I've seen more than once is you can actually develop an allergy to tattoo ink. And that that can be very uncomfortable, obviously, if you have an allergic reaction in the shape of your tattoo. Oh my. <laughs> I've seen that maybe five, six times in my career. So, right. And then, last but not least, with tattoos, I see some patients that have several moles on their skin. And so, if they're patients that are choosing to become tattooed heavily, they just need to know it makes it much more difficult for us as providers to be able to pick up on skin cancers or melanomas. And I think you would highly recommend to anybody that hears this to make, uh, just like you would a, a yearly physical, mm-hmm. to make a yearly appointment to see a dermatologist. Yeah, too. I, you know, that's a really good debate on mm-hmm. when do you, I have patients ask me a lot, when do I need to start seeing a regular dermatologist? And, you know, most 10, 15-year-olds are not going to have anything. And, and I tell parents, I say, if you notice something that's changing on your kiddo or and you're worried about it, or if you have a family history of a melanoma or something like that. Sure. That obviously would make me a little more willing to see you. But, you know, I would say usually it's more in the 40s and the 50s when you start seeing things, with the exception of those younger patients we discussed. Um, And those younger patients that have that much sun damage know they have that much sun damage for the most part. Sure. Is it pretty – Is is when when people are checking their skin out in the shower or whenever, um, uh, are are the signs – are they noticeable? I mean, when you're looking, will you be like, okay, I know that's just Mm -hmm. not – 
Right. That's something I should check. I mean, is is it easy to spot that kind of stuff? So I like to discuss with every patient, I like to talk about the ABCDE criteria, which is put forth by the American Academy of Dermatology. So the ABCDE criteria is going to discuss moles specifically. And moles and melanoma are your most dangerous type of skin cancer. So A is going to be asymmetry, meaning that the um, you could not fold the mole over on each other. If you could fold it in half, it, the borders don't match. Okay. B is going to be border, so an irregular border. C is going to be color, and so I like to say the colors of the flag plus black, so red, white, blue, black. Oh, okay. wow. Okay, very interesting. D is diameter, so bigger than a pencil eraser. E is the most important, and that means evolving. And I like to also give my patients the statistic that 80% of melanomas, which is the dangerous type, are going to develop in a new mole, so a mole you haven't had before, whereas 20% of those melanomas are going to develop within a mole you already have. And so E, evolving, is your most important thing to watch for. You're like, this has been changing. This has been changing. That's when you need to come see your board-certified dermatologist. Okay. So this... You know, I could talk to you a lot longer. There's, I, I don't know why this is so fascinating. I think it's probably because, you know, it's your biggest organ, and yes. it's the one that you see all the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't see your heart and your lungs and your spleen and all of that stuff. So, you know, you, you go to a, to a doctor when those start to hurt or things, obviously, but... Yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know why it's so fascinating. I can see why you picked this. Yes, it's great. I love what I do. I love what I do. Uh, it's uh, Dr. Siri Knutson-Larsen from Monument Health. And um, I, I, I do recommend, I know, full disclosure, the very first appointment I made to see a dermatologist was with you mm-hmm. about three or four years ago. And you were fantastic. And you Thank answered you. all of my questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've made a yearly appointment since. Uh, a lot of times I deal with the PAs now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have all been fantastic. Great. I love everything that you guys are doing. Yeah. So I highly recommend uh, if you if you're worried about anything, uh, come see you and your team. And and you know again in your 40s and 50s, yeah, it's smart. Mm-hmm. Schedule that and just have it looked at because it's gonna it it's more of a relief thing too to be like yeah. oh, oh thank goodness it's not what I thought it was. Yeah, it's something simple. I'm getting older and those things happen. That kind of a yeah. deal, right? Uh, so again, uh, yeah, thank you. And and if you ever want to come back and talk, I have so many more questions. It'll it'll be awesome. And I gotta put I gotta put one plug in. <laughs> yes, we have, please. We have two new partners in our clinic that are both board certified dermatologists. We have Dr. Marin Gall who came to us from Alaska, and then we have Dr. Kirsten Hockhausen who's actually a Rapid City girl that came back and she oh, trained excellent. at Marshfield, Wisconsin. So we have a pretty great growing team. Yeah, you guys absolutely do. I highly recommend it. Thank you so much for uh, for talking with me, Doctor. Uh, This has been Doc Talk with Monument Health. My name is Mark Houston, and we'll talk to you next time. Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquis, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.